Welcome to the Travel Therapy Mentor Podcast, your number one source for travel therapy information and education. Hosted by travel physical therapist duo, Jared and Whitney. Join us each week on Facebook Live to learn about a new travel therapy topic, or subscribe to our podcast to hear the replay every week. Hey guys. Hey everybody. Welcome to another Travel Therapy Mentor video. Tonight we're going to be, or today, we're going to be doing an update on our trip. Uh, along with an update on some of the, the budget that we have planned and how we budget for trips. Um, I'm gonna give some insight on my spending so far. This is actually, tomorrow's gonna be the beginning of the fourth week, which is crazy. Time has really flown by, um, but it's been awesome so far. We have driven a ton. We've seen a lot of awesome places. Um, we're gonna give a recap on that. So uh, Whitney's gonna introduce us and I'm gonna share this video in a couple groups. All right, hey everyone, thank you for joining us. Many of you guys may have joined in in the past for our weekly travel therapy videos, but if you're new to our page, my name is Whitney Aiken. And I'm Jared Kazaza. And we are both traveling physical therapists. And as Jared kind of alluded to, we are in the middle of an eight-week cross-country road trip. So um, we're going to tell you a little bit today kind of about our road trip, recap some of what we've done so far, and then we're going to discuss how we budget and plan for these longer trips. Um, if you are hopping on live with us, please say hello in the comments and let us know you're watching. Also, let us know if you can hear us. Um, you know, each week when we're traveling, we're always somewhere new, so we could have Wi-Fi issues. Um, we have our microphones, so hopefully you can hear us pretty well. Uh, this week, we are in the Seattle area of Washington, and we're visiting with family. Um, so let us know if you're watching. Let us know if you can hear us okay. Uh, let us know if you have questions. We'd love to hear if you are a current traveler, if you're someone who's thinking about traveling. Just let us know all of that in the comments and say hello. So just to give you an overview of our road trip so far, um, well, the road trip in total is going to be about eight weeks. We'll be traveling um, the whole month of August and the whole month of September, returning in October. We started out in Virginia, which is our home state. We're going all the way across. Um, the country to California and then down through Arizona and back. Um, so, so far we have made it all the way across the northern U.S. We went through um, from Virginia, our next stop was Ohio. We went through Michigan, we saw the Upper Peninsula of Michigan which was amazing. Uh, we went through Wisconsin, Minnesota and then down through the Dakotas, kind of zigzagged there going through the Dakotas. And then we went through Wyoming, Montana, passed through Idaho, and now we're in Washington State. Yep, we've driven about 5,300 miles at this point. Um, how many states? I think 11 states we've gone states, through. 12 yeah. states, and uh, 10 national parks, and that is in the last 20, 20 days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, today's day number 21, so we're exactly three weeks in. Um, and then another big part of our road trip, if you've been following along, you know we've been traveling in a minivan. So right before the trip, we bought a minivan and we took out all the seats in the back and we turned it into a bed. So we've, we've been able to stay in the minivan for part of our trip. And then other parts of the trip, about every week or so, um, and sometimes a little bit quicker than that, we've been able to stay with family, friends, or at a hotel to kind of break up the trip a little bit. In total, we've probably spent about 14 or 15 nights in the van. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but it actually hasn't been that bad. We've uh, done pretty well with it overall, I think, and it's definitely saved us money. Yeah. Um, hey, Amy, thanks for letting us know that you can hear us. Uh, we always have this fear that we'll start talking on a video and nobody will hear anything we said. So if anyone else is joining in live, we'd love if you'd say hello in the comments um, and also give us a thumbs up on the video so that more people can find it. 
Um, so, so far, the biggest focus of our this road trip, because of COVID and everything, we are mainly focusing on going to national parks. So last year, when we went on a road trip in 2019, we got a national park pass, which has been just incredible. Like, that thing is invaluable. Yeah, we've used it at 20 national parks now for, between uh, September of last year when we got it through now. Yeah, and then just on this trip alone, like Jared said, we've been to 10 national parks. So mainly we've been just trying to do outdoor stuff. We have met up with some people. Um, all of our meetups with individuals have been outside. We've definitely been trying to socially distance um, and wear our masks. Um, so we want to let you know a little bit about kind of what we've encountered uh, traveling during COVID because a lot of people wanted to know that. Surprisingly, the national parks have been pretty busy. Um, uh, some of the national parks we've been to said that this is the busiest they've ever been uh, at this time of year, which is crazy, uh, considering that people from Europe and Asia are not here as much as they normally would be. We have seen some people um, from Europe and Asia, but uh, I'm sure it is a much smaller number than normal. But I think a lot of Americans are traveling more this summer domestically since uh, international trips have pretty much all been canceled. Yeah, and probably like us, they want to do more outdoors kind of things um, yeah. rather than a different type of vacation. And one thing I've noticed yesterday, one of the parking lot, or two days ago, we went to Mount Rainier um, in Washington and they let us park in the zone that typically says bus parking. And then it occurred to me, because there were yellow lines and we didn't think we could park there, but then they pointed us in that direction and it occurred to me, we haven't seen any big droves of tourists in buses. So that type of travel has been significantly cut down. It's a lot more just individual families. So yeah. that's been kind of different. And also in the parks, uh, things like shuttle buses are pretty much all closed um, for any of the parks that normally would have that. Um, so there's different modifications that each park is making to, to try to reduce risk as much as possible. Yeah, and then in terms of things being open, most things are available as far as like traveling between states. We haven't been stopped at any state crossings. We haven't had any problem with that in the 12 states that we've passed through between the East Coast, the Northern U.S., and now starting into the Pacific Northwest. Um, there's varying mask rules. So in the middle of the country especially, masks aren't necessarily as required. Some of the businesses will have signs and the national parks will have signs in the more crowded areas, but it's a lot more lenient in the middle of the country. Um, and I think that's because they haven't, maybe haven't had as many cases, maybe it's more rural. Yeah, I think it has more to do with being rural and uh, less population dense in those areas. Um, but the places that are pretty pretty dense in terms of population have been pretty strict, and uh, I think we've, we've felt pretty safe with all of that. Yeah, especially when we got to Washington State, it was just a whole different ball game. Um, a lot different with being so close to Seattle and you know, that was quite the hot spot for the cases for a while and it's a big city. So people here are even wearing the masks outside, even just walking along the sidewalks and that sort of thing. So we definitely have been wearing our masks a lot more being closer to Seattle than say on the trails. We, you know, if we were outside walking in a town or on the trails, we didn't really wear our masks. Some people, when you're hiking on the trails, if it's getting a little crowded and you pass by people, they will keep their mask on or just have it around their neck and pull it up when you pass them. So most people are being pretty respectful about that, but it, there are big differences between states that we've seen. For sure. Um, and you want to talk a little bit about the gyms too? Uh, yeah, gyms all have different rules. We signed up for a Planet Fitness membership before we left so that we'd be able to stop, um, continue to... Uh, work out as well as take showers at these Planet Fitness locations. So I think we've probably been to about seven or eight in the last few weeks uh, all over the country and all of them have different rules. Some have showers closed, some have every other shower closed, some have locker rooms closed. Um, 
some have part of the lockers closed. Uh, so it varies a ton between states. Yeah, and then some of the states still don't have gyms open at all. Like, I think it was Michigan that gyms Michigan. aren't open at all. I think New York, we're not going through New York, but I think gyms are still closed there. And I think um, I read or I saw that closer to Seattle, like in Seattle proper, I think some of the gyms are still closed, but where we're staying with family, kind of in the suburbs, the gyms, uh, the Planet Fitnesses anyway are open. Um, some of the smaller local gyms might not be open because I think my aunt said their gym is not open. So it just kind of varies, um, but we've felt pretty good overall traveling. We've felt like we were able to keep our distance and be responsible during this trip. Um, and it's, it's really gone very smoothly so far. I don't think we've had knock on wood any problems now. Our next stop after this is supposed to be pass through Oregon, go to, Col uh, to California for about two weeks. So we're really concerned about what's gonna happen with the fires going in California right now. Yep. So. Yeah, we've. I think overall we've been pretty lucky with things like weather and traffic hasn't been bad. Um, accidents on the road have been pretty good. So um, yeah, hopefully that continues. But it is going to be more difficult tr driving down through California with um, with so much going on with fires and things there. Yeah, we might have to make some modifications to our plans. Uh, so we'll see what happens. We'll definitely update you guys as to what goes on in California. I think it might be a whole different ball game. But so far the first three weeks have been amazing. And um, talking a little bit about staying in the minivan, it's actually been a lot better than I could have anticipated. Um, we're actually surprisingly comfortable staying yep. in the minivan. If you guys didn't see the last video, or I think two weeks ago we did a video showing showing our setup in the minivan, uh, but the platform is only five foot ten in length, uh, and I'm six foot three, a little over six foot three. So uh, I was very nervous about how that would work out, uh, and it's actually been all right. Um, it works out well if we have the seats pushed always forward. I can still pretty much stretch out all the way, which is good. Yeah, and then temperature has been, you know, an issue sometimes. Some nights it was a little hot, some nights it was a little cold. We just sleep with the car off and the windows closed, so we don't have, we have a small fan, but we don't have a lot of way to control the temperature. So as we start going south, I know once we get to Southern California, Arizona, Texas, we probably won't be staying in the van um, much, if at all, but we're just going to see at that point. At that point, we may have to get more Airbnbs and hotels. Yeah, anything, if, if the night is any hotter than about 70 degrees, it's, it's not going to be feasible. Um, it's much easier to be in cold climate in the van than in a hot climate. So yeah, once we get down to Southern California, Arizona, I, I don't anticipate staying in the, the van very much. Yeah, but overall, I would have to say this has been one of our favorite trips yet. This trip has just been incredible, and we've done a lot of traveling. If you guys follow our page regularly, you know that over the past uh, two and a half, three years, we've traveled to over 30 countries, and we're going on almost 40 states in the U.S., and this has been our favorite trip so far. These national parks up north in, in the United States are just insane. They're just yeah, incredible. Amazing. Um, yeah, I think actually I was thinking about it today. We spent almost an entire year of the last two years traveling, either domestically or internationally. So uh, yeah, we've done a lot of travel, but the national parks in the U.S. are really, really hard to beat. They are awesome places. It's just been phenomenal. So we've been trying to kind of rank our um, favorite parks as we've gone along. And I hope you guys are following us on Facebook and on Instagram on our Travel Therapy Mentor page. It's at Travel Therapy Mentor on Instagram. That's where I post the majority of the pictures. And if you guys have seen these pictures, I swear, I don't have time to filter them. I don't have time to edit them. Like, it's just how it looks. And it looks even better in person. So yeah. if you guys get a chance to go to some of these national parks in the, the north and the northwest, they're just insane. And I'm really excited to see the ones in California and the southwest as well. Um, so let's tell them about our favorite ones so far of the 20. So our top three so far, we've been to 20, uh, 10 this year, 10 last year. 
well, I guess last year and the year before. Um, our top three right now, number one, North Cascades National Park, number two, Glacier National Park, and number three, Grand Tetons. But all of those are amazing. So uh, you can't go wrong with any of it them. It was really hard to rank them into a one, two, and three. I mean, when we saw the Grand Tetons, we were just in awe and we did this incredible hike there. It's beautiful. And then when we got to Glacier National Park, so the Tetons is in Wyoming. Uh, Glacier is in Montana. When we did Montana, and the, there's the main road through the park is called the Going to the Sun Road, and it was just the, unlike anything you've ever seen. And all you have to do is drive on the road. You don't even have to go hike or do anything to see these views. So that is just extremely unique that they carved this road out of the side of the mountain. So you're right there. But then this hike that we did at the North Cascades in Washington State, um, really close to Canada. It was like another world and, and we had to work really hard to get those views so you can't just see those views from the road we did like a 14 mile hike and it was the hardest hike we've ever done but it was incredible yeah that was well worth it that was uh the best hike we've ever done and our favorite national park so if you ever get the chance go to north cascades it's it's an awesome place yeah so stay tuned on our facebook and our instagram page as we continue through the pacific northwest and down the coast of california or down through california and then down through the southwest. Um, who knows, maybe North Cascades and, and uh, Glacier and Tetons will get knocked off the top of our list, but I don't really know how you beat what we've seen so far. Yep. Um, so we want to get kind of transition here and talk a little bit about just budgeting and planning for this type of trip because a lot of people get inspired by our travels and they want to know, you know, how do you budget? How do you plan for something like this? So we'll talk a little bit about budgeting for our road trip as well as our international trips. Yeah, it's not easy to budget for something like this, especially if it's your first time, because there's no real way to know how much you're you're going to spend. Um, you're kind of at the mercy of gas prices and food prices and um, sometimes like state park prices, parking, all that stuff. Uh, and it's really hard to know all of that in advance, especially for a long trip. So, you, you know, if you're doing a one week trip, you can research everything down to, uh, you know, the hour of what you're going to be doing. But if you're doing eight weeks or longer, you know, like our our trip to Asia was five months, you really kind of have to just uh, see where you're going to go and then figure out when you get there. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to plan for uh, expenses like that, but I've calculated all my expenses. I've kept track of all of them for all of our trips and broken that in, down into a daily number to try to give people an idea of how much it might cost if you're, if you're traveling fairly frugally to uh, do a similar trip. Yeah. So when we talk about numbers here, um, Jared tracks his expenses down to the dollar and that's his half of expenses. So that includes his half of any lodging costs, his plane ticket, his bus ticket, his half of the gas, you know, depending on what type of trip it is, his food, activity, expenses and all that. I don't like to track my expenses down to the number. So my expenses are going to be pretty similar to his half in terms of all the equal things, you know, park entrance tickets, um, parking, gas airline, all that stuff, lodging, but then I might spend a little bit more on food or if I choose to buy something. But for the most part, if you're a pair, take his numbers and multiply it by two, or if you're a solo person, um, it might be a little bit more than his numbers because his numbers, he's got the benefit of splitting some costs with me. Yeah, and probably multiply by a little bit more than two because I really do my best to be pretty frugal, um, but still do everything that we wanna do on the trip. So. Uh, you know, we, we are rarely eating at pretty expensive places and um, things like that. We try to, I'm not buying souvenirs and that kind of stuff. So try to keep those expenses low. So if you are going to do those things, it's going to obviously be a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so, so far, 20 days in, this is day 21, um, I've spent a total of $545 on 
uh, food, gas, and activities. That's the three that I broke it down into. We haven't had any lodging expenses yet. Like uh, Whitney said, we stayed in a hotel one night for free uh, with hotel points, which we're gonna make a video maybe next week about um, credit card rewards and how we've been able to use those over the year to our over the years to our advantage to travel uh, much cheaper. Uh, we've stayed with family and friends, uh, and then the majority of the nights have been in the van, and we found free spots to stay, either uh, Walmart parking lots, Cabela's parking lots, um, casino parking lots, uh, free, dispersed yeah, dispersed camping, camping land, uh, right outside national parks. We've stayed at a variety of places. So that breaks down into uh, $267 spent on food, $228 spent on gas, and then about $50 spent on activities, which is... Um, things like ferry rides, uh, parking, state park entrances, entrance fees, um, the Crazy Horse Memorial went to that. That was $12 a person. Um, so all of those things combined, about $27 a day is how much I've spent on this trip, which has been by far the cheapest trip that we've ever it's taken. It's extremely cheap. It's crazy. I mean, we haven't been spending much money at all because we already had our National Park Pass from last year. Our National Park Pass was $80, and that's for the both of us, and that's the whole year. So we've gotten, you know, a tremendous a value, value out of that. Um, and like Jared said, a couple of the state parks that are different than the national parks you have to pay to get into. Sometimes there's parking fees, but overall we've kept our expenses extremely low. And we were really surprised. Um, gas has been one of the hugest costs. Um, obviously, if you cut lodging costs out, that's huge. But then we were actually really surprised to see that we paid, we spent a little bit more on food even yeah, we've, than gas. We've spent more on food on this trip than we ever have on prior trips. Um, and part of that is because I'm trying to be more lenient on uh, eating at nicer places, um, not just going by the cheapest places anymore. Uh, there's really, as I've gotten older, I've realized that, you know, it's probably not the best to always go the cheapest. And so we've spent more on that this trip than we have on prior trips. Uh, just to compare, in 2018 when we were in Asia, we spent about $37 a day for the entire five months. That, that was my cost. Um, for Europe, we spent about $47 a day. And last road trip, when we were staying at Airbnbs every night, we spent about $54 a day. So this trip is actually half the cost so far of last year's trip. And that's almost completely because of uh, staying in the van and not having to pay expensive one-night Airbnb prices. Yeah, that lodging, um, those lodging costs have been huge. I couldn't believe it when Jared added up these numbers, how much we've saved by staying in the van, because even Airbnbs sometimes can be, you know, not expensive like a hotel, but kind of expensive, especially if yeah. you want to get the ones that are more popular areas, like right outside the national parks. They know they can increase the rates a little bit because people are going to come there and stay. Yeah, last year we actually, I think we probably spent somewhere around 40 to $50 a night on Airbnbs. So yeah, taking that cost out has been huge. In addition to that, I think we've saved a little bit on gas by not staying in Airbnbs because most of the time, the places we're staying are right along our route. We're not having to go outside of our route at all. Sometimes they're right outside of the national park. So um, there's no extra drive time to and from Airbnbs. Yeah. So in addition to saving on the lodging, we've also probably saved a little bit on gas and saved time, which has been really, really important on this trip. Yeah, it's been really fun actually, just being able to just wake up in the morning and just literally start driving right away. Sometimes we'll spend 10 or 15 minutes getting ready a little bit before we go, but a couple times when we wanted to really get to a national park, to the hikes really, really early, and we got up at like 4.30 or 5.00, we just literally climbed, crawled out of the back, climbed right in the front, didn't brush our teeth, didn't wash our face, didn't change our clothes, anything, because we just wanted to get straight to the park. 
and get the parking spot. And then once we got to the parking spot, we kind of did our like 15 minutes of getting ready. And yep. it's just, inc it's incredible to just be able to do it that fast because a lot of times with Airbnbs and hotels, you might be staying an hour away from, you know, maybe 45 minutes away from the park entrance and then another 20, 30 minutes to the hike. Yeah. So it's been it's been really cool and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and even though the van hasn't been perfect, I think that extra freedom of not having to drive anywhere, being able to stay in these cool places has been uh, worth the inconvenience that, uh, you know, obviously staying in a van without temperature control is not ideal, but I think it's been worth it. Yeah, so if you guys are thinking about planning any kind of trip along the same lines as the type that we have planned, you can expect your costs to be pretty low. You know, a lot of people want to go and see these cool things that we're seeing, and I'm like, you know what, if you have the time and you have a little bit of money, just get in the car and go. However, if you're going to be spending more money on food and you're going to be staying at places like if you stay at the lodges at these national parks or like the, the hotels in the we national parks. We could have spent parks. easily 10 times as much. Oh my gosh. I that. mean, the hotel nights are two, three, four hundred, five hundred dollars a night because it's like this incredible inn lodge at the Glacier National Park inside of the, you know, the park. Hugely expensive. So you could spend the bare minimum like we have or you could spend a lot. So you have to decide what type of trip it is you're, you are planning, what your budget is, um, and see how much you can afford. Yeah, there are a few expenses. Uh, I'm gonna write a, a full article on this once we finish the trip, how much we spent, and break everything down. There's a few expenses I haven't really figured out how to account for yet, and that's things like uh, the platform we built for the van, because we're gonna reuse that. So, you know, it's not completely for this trip. It's gonna be for multiple trips, so I'm not sure how I'm gonna account for that. Uh, we also got a a satellite type, um, not really a phone, but a, a satellite communication device, basically, um, where we can send out messages to family and let them know we're okay if we don't have cell phone service. It also has an SOS button that makes us feel a little better if we're in the middle of nowhere and we got hurt. Um, it'll send our GPS coordinates to the local law enforcement. Um, so the, the, I don't know how I'm gonna account for that because we're gonna use that again in the future, but I'll have to figure all that out. I would say that will add uh, a little bit of extra money for sure. Okay, so I want to talk just a little bit more about kind of some logistics of the planning and budgeting for you guys that might be thinking about trying to do this. Um, I see that Kyle has a question. We will answer a few questions at the end. If anybody else is watching right now and you have questions for us, please leave your questions in the comments. Uh, I know right now this time of day isn't super convenient, so if you are watching this video later or listening to it on our podcast later, please feel free to send us a message or ask a question in the comments. We will go back and answer them later. And also, if you are watching this or listening on our podcast, please um, you know, subscribe, hit the like button, give us a thumbs up, um, you know, show us a little bit of love and let us know if you appreciated this video. We, we really appreciate your support. So in terms of kind of planning and budgeting uh, this type of trip, what we suggest is just sort of outline where you wanna go, decide how much you wanna cram in per how much time you have. Obviously, we have eight weeks, that's a long time available to us. Um, in the past, we've done four and five month trips. That's a long time. But if you if you sit down and you say, okay, I have two weeks or I have a month, um, you know, sit down, outline what you feel like is doable, work in a couple rest days, and then just start ticking down the list of like, what do I want to hit? As Jared mentioned earlier, we don't plan everything down to the T when we are traveling. We just say, okay, we're going to go to Glacier and then hopefully by this day we'll be in, you know, in Oregon and by this day we'll be in California. And a lot of people will ask us like, hey, what are you planning on doing in Yosemite? And I'm like, I don't know yet. We'll plan that like the day before Yosemite because there's just, it's just too much. Yeah. We're planning our hikes for tomorrow today. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, we had no idea when we started. We're just pretty much taking it. We're trying to do like two or three days uh, in advance. 
but sometimes that's hard to do if we don't have cell phone service and uh, things like that. Yeah, but if you're planning a shorter trip, it, it might be doable to plan everything down to the T. It depends on what type of traveler you are. We are even a little bit more more organized and, and uh, have more foresight and planning than some travelers. Some travelers will just hit the road and not have a plan on where they're going. We like to plan a little bit more than that. And when we've done our Europe and our Asia trips um, internationally in the past, we actually had everything planned down to every single night in a hotel, every flight and every bus booked before we left. But in terms of activities and excursions, we didn't have those booked until we got closer. Um, on this trip, we decided not to book the hotels or anything like that too far in advance because we didn't know what was gonna happen with COVID. And we figured we were gonna stay in the van most of the time. So we booked a couple of hotels and things here and there, but not much yep. um, in terms of actually booking in advance. We've actually had situations on this trip where we didn't know where we were gonna stay that night in the van until a couple hours beforehand. So um, we've we've been a lot more risky. Uh, I think the more we travel, the more comfortable we are with uh, being spontaneous and kind of winging it. Uh, whereas the first few trips we went on, we were much more nervous about things not working out. And yeah. now we just, I think we're more confident and we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, and that's a good point. So in terms of like staying in the van, you can't just sleep anywhere. You have to find out where you're allowed to stay overnight. So we've used a website called freecampsites.net and it will tell you some places in the region where it might be dispersed camping on national forest land or parking lots or that sort of thing. Um, we've also used a website called All Stays where you can search All Stays Walmart parking lots and it'll show you which Walmarts in the area allow overnight parking if there is a Walmart. If you're in the middle of nowhere, there might not be a Walmart. Um, and then there's also another website, I think, or an app called Campendium, which also tells you about some campsites, whether they're free or paid. Um, and you can usually near the, near the um, national parks find RV parks and campgrounds that you can pay to stay at if finding free camping doesn't work out for you, but they were kind of expensive for what we really wanted to pay for just a place to park. Yeah, so far we haven't had to do that, but that would be kind of our last resort as we would just pay for a camp site and park there and just use minimal amenities and bite the bullet. But so far we have not had to do that. Yeah, they were like 20 or $30 just to park there, not to use the water, not to use the electricity, nothing. And we were like 20 or $30, we could get an Airbnb for that amount, you know, so it seemed kind of crazy to us. So luckily we haven't had to do that so far but we may have to. Yep. So that's a little bit on kind of organizing. Um, and let's just talk about kind of planning the high and low cost places. Yeah, so one thing that I figured out on our very first trip we did is I wanted to be able to travel but make our long-term travel more sustainable in terms of cost. And for, for us, that meant probably keeping it between the two of us somewhere less than $3,000 a month while traveling. Um, ideally, even less than that. And the way that we chose to do that is one to save a lot of uh, a lot of money on costs with hotel and airline points, but two to try to balance out high and low cost areas. So obviously, usually a su supply and demand applies to travel. The places that are more desirable and are um, have more to see and do are usually more expensive. So we try to balance those places with other low, low cost living areas. And early on, when we traveled to Asia. The first three weeks of that trip was to Western Europe, which was we knew was gonna be a lot more expensive. Um, and then from there, we traveled to Southeast Asia, which was very inexpensive. And that balanced out the cost of that trip a little bit and uh, made it more affordable overall on a, uh, a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And same with uh, when we did all Europe, because people, you know, when we did Asia and, you know, we were in some 
developing you know, third world countries, people were like, well, of course you could travel dirt cheap. How are you going to travel dirt cheap through Europe for four months? Yeah, and it actually turned out we were able to. And uh, a lot of that had to do with hotel nights being free. I think we got like over 20 free hotel stays from credit card rewards. Uh, the other thing was that we balanced out Eastern and Western Europe. Western Europe is much more expensive than Eastern Europe. So we tried to spend um, about the same amount of time over in Eastern Europe, Poland, Austria, uh, Croatia, those kind of places, Slovenia, Slovakia, with all that, all that we did in Western Europe. And yeah. um, that really brought the, the total cost down. Yep. And in terms of traveling domestically on our road trip, that those same concepts kind of apply. So we spent way more money yesterday in our half a day over in the city of Seattle than we would normally spend on a regular day when we're going to the, the national parks. So the majority, I'd say 75% of this trip is national parks, free outdoor activities, hiking and that sort of thing. Um, whereas when we were in Seattle, we had to pay for parking, a ferry, a pretty expensive meal. I wanted to buy more stuff because we were in Seattle and I'm like, when am I ever gonna be in Seattle again? So I bought a souvenir, um, I bought um, a Starbucks coffee we got for, donuts. for $5, beat $5.23, which I, I can't believe Starbucks is so expensive, but it was the original first Starbucks. And I was like, well, I might as well go to the original first Starbucks in Seattle. I'm never going to be here again, maybe. Um, so we spent a lot more money. Yeah, we got donuts. We ate out than we normally spend on a regular day. But that balances out because some days we hardly spend any money. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is a good thing to, to try to do if you're going to do an extended trip is to think about, okay, there's going to be some places that you want to go that are expensive that you just have to do. Mm -hmm. um, like the very the big national parks all around there, things are very expensive. Gas is more expensive. Uh, it's more crowded. If you're going to stay in like a uh, campground or an Airbnb, it's going to be more expensive. Try to balance that out with some places that are a little less um, less busy, less expensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so as far as just like a road trip when you're planning, of course gas is going to be a big cost. Lodging, depending on how you do it, is going to be a big cost. But if you decide to do some kind of car camping or tent camping like like we have, you could you cut out that cost there. And then you just really have to take into account your food budget and your activity and uh, souvenirs. We try to cut down on buying a lot of souvenirs. We try to do really low cost activities. And then food, we tend to fast in the morning and just eat a really small snack, lunch in the middle of the day, and then only eat one meal out. Um, if you decide to camp, then maybe you're gonna be cooking um, at your campfire and that sort of thing. Maybe you'll cut down some costs that way. Yeah, and, and depending on where you are, not only does it save money by eating only one meal out, one meal out, but also it can save a lot of time because it's not always convenient to get to somewhere that sells food. Mm -hmm. So we have things like bread and peanut butter, nuts, uh, protein powder, protein bars mm -hmm. to kind of uh, fill in the gaps there when we're when we're not near something to, to go buy something to eat. Yeah, I think if you're going to do a longer trip, there's a lot of things that you have to shift your mindset um, in terms of a long trip versus a short trip. If you were going to spend one weekend in a city and just that was your entire trip was you fly to Seattle, you spend three nights, four days there, you might want to eat every meal out. You want to go to the brunch spot. You want to go to the lunch spot. You want to go to the dinner spot. You want to go to the dessert spot. You want to go to, to go up in the Space Needle. You want to do every single thing. But because we're doing this long trip, we just have to pick and choose what's really important to us. And eating three meals out in a day is not important to us because we need to save money. So I know a lot of people will get all these recommendations like, oh, you got to go to this place for brunch and don't forget to try this milkshake and this donut and this thing. 
Um, and we're like, you know what, we're just going to pick one of those. Like we just want to go out for a dinner. And then other than that, we're going to, yeah, do protein bars, do trail mix, um, do that kind of stuff because it's, it's more important to us to be able to do these long trips and experience a lot of things than it is for us to spend $23 on brunch. Yeah. And in addition to that, I mean, everyone knows when you eat out, you end up eating more calories. So we're doing our best to try to make this trip the one that we come back in better shape than we left in because uh, so far that has never been the case. We mm. always leave, we eat a ton, uh, we come back weighing more and feeling uh, a little upset at ourselves. So at th this trip, we're trying our best to keep calories low, keep our activity level high and come back in better shape. Yeah, Jared's actually lost weight on this trip so far. And I've stayed exactly the same, which is crazy because literally I think in our like Asia and Europe trips, we each gained like 10 pounds. Probably more than 10 pounds. Maybe more than 10 pounds. Yeah. So um, yeah, we're trying to have, be more health conscious this trip. So kind of all of that to say, if you are planning a long trip, you need to pick and choose what's important to you, what's valuable to you. If you're a millionaire, then you know do everything and you probably don't need to be watching this video or listening to this podcast because you're a millionaire so you don't need to budget, but you're probably not a millionaire. You're probably a regular old middle class person like us and you probably do need to budget and pick and choose what's valuable to you and what you can take and what you can leave when you're planning a trip like this. Yeah, uh, one thing I do wanna mention uh, in terms of gas mileage and um, our, our gas costs, we're, I think we actually have spent less this year on gas driving 5,300 miles uh, than we did last year, uh, which is crazy because the minivan has gotten really good gas mileage. It's been between 27 and 30 miles per gallon compared to, um, like we talked about in a video a couple weeks ago, if we had taken a camper or something like that, we maybe would have gotten one third of that. Mm -hmm. um, and when we were pulling our fifth wheel with the truck, we were getting six to seven miles per gallon. So uh, using the minivan, staying in it has been really helpful. The gas cost is low. Lodging expenses are pretty much minimal or none. Yeah, we're pro minivan. We're a minivan yeah. family now. We don't have any children, but we are a minivan family. So we're excited about it. This won't be our only <laughs> minivan trip for sure. Um, okay, so just a little, just a touch base on one more thing here, kind of talking about um, budgeting for international travel. We talked a little bit about budgeting for a road trip. On international travel, when we do these longer trips, a huge cost, you know, for a road trip, it's going to be gas. For international trip, it's going to be your flights. So we've, we've mentioned this before, but we'll mention it again. Um, we use credit card points for all of our international flights, and that just requires a little bit of foresight and a little bit of work on your part where we'll, um, we'll talk about this in a separate video of the kind of logistics and strategies on how to earn the points and get them ready to take a big trip. But if you can replace that cost instead of paying cash for an international flight, then that's gonna cut your budget down significantly yeah. for an international That's trip. usually the biggest cost. If you're taking a week trip, the flight there and back internationally is gonna be probably your biggest expense on the whole trip. Mm -hmm. So if you can get rid of that cost, you can really travel fairly cheaply, especially if you're staying at Airbnbs and, and you're splitting between high and, and low, low cost living areas like we talked about earlier. Yeah, and we've mentioned before that you can actually travel cheaper on a per day basis when you travel for a longer period to somewhere like Europe or somewhere abroad than if you go on a short trip. There are tons of people. What, what was your total cost for the four months in Europe? Like $4,000, $5,000? I think four months was like 5000 Okay, so it was a little, you know, a little bit more than 1000 a month per person, but that's a month. That's like crazy because most people would go to Europe and they would only have seven days off of work to go to Europe for maybe a seven or 10 day trip. And they would spend thousands of dollars, probably that $5,000 for a 14 day trip where Jared for his half of the expenses was able to spend 5,000 for four months. 
So when you divided out your one flight, you know, A to B from the U.S. to wherever is going to be huge. Um, And then you can also spread it out and use some of these tactics like using Airbnbs and stuff to cut down on your costs. Because if you stay at expensive hotels every night, your expenses are going to be really high for that trip. Um, So, yeah, flights using points, hotels using points if you can, Airbnbs if you can. Extended stays at Airbnbs uh, make a big difference. If you can stay in one place for six or seven nights, you almost always get a significant discount on the price. Um, So we try to do that. We try to stay five to seven nights in each location. And um, a lot of times that's like a 40% discount on the nightly rate. So that can be a a big savings. Yep. Uh, And then in terms of eating out, we do the same techniques when we are in Asia uh, or Europe or abroad somewhere. We try to only eat one major meal out per day. And then the other meals, we either eat something really cheap, snacks, and, and fast. So we cut down on our costs there. If you're eating every single meal out in Europe or Asia or you know some other place abroad, it's gonna add up fast. We'll also go to grocery stores and get like pre-made sandwiches and stuff like that or uh, fruit, vegetables that are, are lower cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in terms of activities, we always try to balance out when we're abroad free activities with paid activities. Because when you're doing all the touristy things, again, if you are only gonna go say to Europe for 14 days, every single day you're probably gonna do a tourist activity and you're gonna blow through a lot of your budget doing tourist activities that cost a lot of money every single day. So we always try to balance out free activities um, with paid activities, especially in places like Europe. So free activities, we quite often will just walk around and sightsee and see all the stuff that's free. We'll even Google free things to do in London, free things to do in you know Chiang Mai. Um, And then if you guys haven't heard of it, we were really big fans of the free walking tours abroad. Um, And that was usually a pretty good tour of the city that we were in, but they're provided by students or companies that are just tip-based. So you don't have to pay 20, 30, 40 bucks for a tour. You pay zero and then you just tip them whatever you feel like, you know, five, 10 euros. Um, So we saved a lot of money doing that. Yeah, um, really we have found that we get a better feel for a city anyway if we can do most of it on foot. Um, it's just it's just a different than taking like an Airbnb or sorry uh, an Uber or a taxi from one place to the other. You just get a lot more of the feel of the city and the people when you're walking down sidewalks. So mm-hmm. we try to do a lot of walking, um, see as much as we can by foot. And now there are some things that you're just not going to want to pass up on. So like when we were in London, we wanted to see some of the major tourist attractions. So for um, one day, we got the 24-hour London Pass. And that was maybe $60, $75, maybe even $100. Might have been more than that. Might have been $100. And that was a lot. But, you know, say the next six days, we didn't spend a lot. So for one day, we spent a lot to do a bunch of, you know, hit all the bucket list items and all the tourist things we wanted to hit. And then we just went back to being budget-friendly for the other days. But if you're spending a hundred bucks on activities every day, again, you're gonna have to be a millionaire to afford that for a long trip. Yeah, for a long trip. Yep. So that's just a little bit about kind of how we budget for international and domestic trips. Again, it's all about balance. It's all about priorities. Um, If you want to try to plan something similar to what we have, we've written a bunch of articles on these topics and they're not on our Travel Therapy Mentor site. They're on our Fifth Wheel PT website or blog there. Jared writes a lot about his finances and the budgets for the trips. Um, There will be an upcoming article when we get done with this trip. We'll write about our whole budget for this one. But like Jared said, as of right now, his expenses, his half of the expenses have only been $27 a day, which is super cheap. Yeah. 
Um, and if, if you're trying to plan a trip, especially internationally, I, every place that we've been, every country, I break it down by countries or cities, how much I spent on each item, um, each line item, like activities, lodging, food, um, those kind of things for each city. So if you're trying to plan a trip like that, that might be a good place to start. Just look and see how much I spent um, and you know compare what we did. I write about everything that we did um, compared to what you plan to do and that would give you a starting place. Yep, so just definitely take into account how much money you have available to spend, how much money you would like to spend, how many weeks that you have available to travel and try to use some of those strategies that we've talked about and hopefully next week on our video we'll talk a little bit more in depth about how to acquire points and how to strategize getting hotel and airline points to make your travel even cheaper. Yep. All right, so we'll go through just a couple comments and questions here. If anybody's watching live and you have questions, please feel free to leave them in the comments. Um, and then if you have questions later, um, afterwards, if you're watching or listening on the podcast, please feel free to leave us a comment then or send us a message. So Kyle says, would you pick a Sprinter van versus a fifth wheel for extended stays? Uh, it depends on what you mean by extended. Um, if you're gonna stay in a place for say three months, like on a travel assignment, I would not stay in a Sprinter van. I would definitely get a, a camper of some sort, a fifth wheel, a pull behind trailer, something like that. Um, if you mean like extended as in like what we're, what we're doing. Like a road trip. Yeah, like a road trip type thing. There's not a chance I would take a fifth wheel. And for comparison, we've, like I said, we've driven about 5,300 miles. If we had pulled the fifth wheel with our truck, that same 5,300 miles, I would have paid more just in the cost of diesel than I've paid on for everything this whole trip. So it is a massive difference in terms of gas uh, mileage and efficiency. So if you're driving a lot of miles, I think a van of some sort uh, is much better. And I pretty much always recommend going as small as you possibly can because that will be you know, more efficient. It'll cost you less. Um, a minivan is much easier to sell than a conversion van when you're done with it because families want minivans. Whereas a conversion van is a specific type of person, you know, an adventure, uh, people looking for adventure that are going to be staying in it, usually that are buying uh, conversion vans. And they're pretty expensive. So, yeah. you know, when we looked at for this trip, obviously we would have been a lot more comfortable in a Sprinter van that had been converted in like a big old van, but that was just a lot of money. And so we figured we could just buy a minivan. It's just a regular car. And then Jared could just keep driving it as his car if he wants to, or he could sell it back to another person for about what we bought it for. Yeah. Um, and we don't, ha we don't have um, much invested in it and no loss on cost there. Yeah, for a single person or a couple, um, I really think a minivan's the way to go. Obviously, if you have um, more than two people, it's pretty much impossible to do. So either a bigger van or a pull-behind trailer would be ideal there. Even like a pop-up camper could work. Yeah, and even a lot of people do um, Subaru Outbacks or bigger vehicle cars. If you're just a solo person, you could totally car camp. Um, but yeah, we, we did a video talking about how we didn't think that living in a Sprinter van, like living the van life long-term as a travel therapist to live in it as your home, we don't feel like that's the best solution. Um, some people do it, some people like it. We felt like that to us, that was just a little bit too much tiny living to be a long-term like your home. Yeah. Um, but for a road trip like this, it's totally doable. I mean, I don't love going without showers for like three days and like not always knowing where I'm gonna be able to go to the bathroom. But you know, for a road trip and kind of roughing it and camping for a short time, you know, relatively a short time, a few weeks, a couple months, it could be done, but I wouldn't wanna live in a van forever. Yeah, I agree with that. Down by the river. <laughs> okay, just a couple more questions here and then we'll hop off. 
Um, Allie says, it sounds like a wonderful trip. Last summer, my niece from Australia visited and we spent a month hiking at the national parks of California, Utah, and Arizona, and it was wonderful. Yeah, there's such amazing things to see in this country. Um, this is definitely not gonna be our last road trip. So last year, we traveled for three months around the country, saw some national parks this year, eight weeks. Art and I said three months. I meant three weeks. Uh, we traveled around the country this year, eight weeks, and we'll probably do something very similar next year, just hitting more places we haven't been because there's so much to see in this country. It's amazing. I mean, we've really enjoyed the 30 other countries that we've visited, but there's just something really special about going around the U.S. Each state is so different than the other, and it's also really neat just to be able to hop in your own car and do it. Whereas, you know, when you're in another country, you don't necessarily speak the language. You might have to be relying on public transportation. It's just not quite the same as traveling within the U.S. Although there are a lot of people, um, somebody we were talking to yesterday said, you know, you could also get a van and do the whole thing in Europe or in uh, New Zealand, Australia, and that would be a cool adventure as well. Which we're definitely considering that. Um, COVID has made us realize that when we're able to travel again, we're really going to take advantage of it. Uh, we obviously kind of have the last couple of years, but there's still a lot we want to see. And we might do some kind of van type trip in Australia, New Zealand, um, maybe in the next year or two if we're able to. Yeah, a lot of our trips, so when we, you know, the first couple of years of traveling internationally, we wanted to hit a lot of places, check off, you know, a lot of different countries. And you tend to kind of go to the capitals. Because you're like, well, if I only have a few days to spend in England, I guess I'll go to London, you know, and, and then you don't necessarily get to see the other parts of the country. And it's just a different type of travel. You know, we're not really big city people anyway. So every time we go to a different country and we just kind of only go to the capital, we don't really feel like we got a great feel for that country. So in the future trips, it would be really cool to do more of like a rural suburban type travel a little slower, not so much hustle and bustle in the big cities, but um, you just don't know because you, you you know you want to check off those places. You want to see London and you want to see Paris and um, you know. But yep. we're really excited to be able to go back to some of those places later and do some of the more like countryside and a little bit different type of travel. And we've definitely got some experience with the van life now for that type of trip. Yep. All right. So I think that's all the questions, comments. So. If you guys are watching in the future, feel free to reach out to us. If you leave a comment or a question on this video, we'll always revisit it later. Um, like I said, I think next week we'll hopefully be talking about credit card rewards. If I can get some time to sit down and uh, write down my thoughts uh, a little bit on that. Um, and our, basically how we've used credit card rewards over the years to our advantage to travel much more cheaply. Uh, I know a lot of people are interested in that in the travel community. Um, so hopefully we can talk about that, and at some point, um, probably in a few weeks, we'll do another trip recap and talk a little bit more about our expenses. All right. Thank you guys so much for watching. Again, if you got any value out of this video, this podcast, if you enjoyed listening, uh, please hit that thumbs up button. Please subscribe for future videos, and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Travel Therapy Mentor so you can see all of our fun road trip photos. I know there's just going to be so much more beauty to come as we head through the Pacific Northwest and California. So yep. thank right. you guys. Take care. Bye. Bye.